Welcome to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. You can hear the program each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and WFIL.com. Good afternoon. It's 4.02. You're listening to the Tim DeMoss Show on AM 560 WFIL and WFIL.com. Thanks for listening in. Forecast as we head toward the evenings, uh, clear and a low of 24. A lot of sun tomorrow, like today, the high of 40. Wednesday, a little more clouds in the picture, but still some sunshine. High again, 40. Supposed to warm up a bit the second half of the week, maybe 45 to 50. Tough one for the Eagles yesterday, 29-23 loss in overtime to Dallas. Monday night football tonight, it's Minnesota and Seattle. The two teams the Eagles are chasing for a possible wild card spot, so they're not out of it yet. Flyers lost to Winnipeg, Sixers home this evening against Detroit. We're looking forward to having Sarah Jansen, the senior editor of the World Almanac and Book of Facts. It's uh, just came out, and we're going to have some copies to give away. It's been around for... 150 years in the 2019 edition just released, also just released, John Eldridge's Restoration Year. It's a 365-day devotional, and uh, you may know him from the, a lot of other places, including the book he wrote, Wild at Heart. So we're going to have both of those folks on this hour, but we're also glad to have on, for the first time on the program, Marcus Hayes. He's a sports columnist for many years, The Daily News, The Inquirer, uh, a lot of other sources, philly.com. Uh, how you feeling, my friend? I'm exhausted. I just got back from Dallas where the Eagles might have ended their season. <laughs> yes. Oh, you were there. Wow. I was there. Was it as uh, difficult as it was to watch from our living room couch? Probably. Well, it was entertaining for me. I'm not a I'm not a big Eagles uh, fan or any any fan of any of the teams in town, but yeah, it was pretty entertaining that you know the last four minutes. I think we saw four touchdowns. So yeah, yeah, it was kind of fun and uh, you know. I think the better team won. I think the best team in the NFC will be the team that wins the uh, NFC East, which looks like it's going to be Dallas right now. So, yeah, no, it is what it is. You know, they have good players, and they got a great player, a great wide receiver in Amari Cooper. That's right. Who they traded a first-round pick for to, to Oakland, a, a deal that the Eagles weren't willing to make. They got Golden Tate instead. And Cooper's got, I think, essentially five times as much production as Golden Tate has given the Eagles in every possible category. And, you know, that's the difference. The Cowboys have won five of six with him, and the Eagles have won two of five with Golden Tate. Yeah, that's a big difference. And, of course, uh, if it was that easy, everyone would make the right move at the right time. Uh, last year, the Eagles got Jay Ajay, and that certainly was a, a nice move that really energized the locker room. You, you were in Dallas, while, you know, doing all the interviews and covering the game. Uh, you had a chance to talk to Jerry Jones a little bit, the owner of the Cowboys, and you wrote an article about this, so folks can find your article. It was done this morning. Uh, we can talk about that too. What, what was that like? Um, I I got to tell you, probably the interview I look forward to the most every year is Jerry Jones. I, I tend to be able to get to him more in Dallas than I am able to get to him when he comes to Philadelphia. He, he spoke in Philadelphia this year as well, and I wasn't able to get close enough to him to talk to him at that interview. But what happens is you get a lot of Northeast media descending on Philadelphia. You don't get a lot of uh, regional media or national or international media descending on Dallas for the, that sort of game. So, you know, it was, uh, I enjoy talking to Jerry Jones. Um, he's probably not my favorite person, but <laughs> he's honest and he's accessible yes. and he's forthcoming. And, you know, there's a false, you know, that's, here's the thing. I like humble people, but I understand people who aren't humble. Okay. But, you know, it's not a it's not a rule, right? Yeah. So he's not humble, but he does admit when he makes a mistake. 
You know, he, he does admit when his team, you know, I remember, uh, I think it was four or five years ago, in consecutive playoff weeks, Dallas was given a huge call against the Detroit Lions, which essentially cost them the game. The officials reversed a call that was, it was they reversed a the call that they called correctly to Dallas' benefit, which sent Dallas to Green Bay. In Green Bay, uh, Des Bryant caught a ball near the end zone at the one or in the end zone that moved after he hit the ground, and that was the play. That playoff game in uh, Green Bay, which Dallas ultimately lost, that playoff game catch was the big, biggest reason why the, the NFL addressed the catch rule yeah. this offseason. Right. So after, after that game, Jerry Jones made himself available the last game of the year, made himself available in the locker room in Green Bay, and not only said the officials got the call right, but said, I helped write the rule. I understand that people think it's flawed, but the rule is what it is, and we'll see if we change it. You yeah, know, I don't, yeah. see Jeffrey Lurie, I, don't see Jeffrey, I don't see Jeffrey Lurie having that sort of press conference ever. Yeah, well, and Jerry Jones, as you, as you mentioned, he is accessible. He's on, and, to, and to admit your mistakes, too, actually takes some humility. You know, you think about it. You could be the kind of person well, that says, I never make any mistakes, or I was always well-intentioned. I think it takes honesty. I'm not sure it takes humility because humility <laughs> is, I guess, deferring or deflecting credit when people credit is due. Yeah. Jerry Jones will always take all the credit. <laughs> and some people will tell you he'll take some and not. Yeah. Marcus Hayes is with us. The article, if people want to catch your, the column you wrote about the game, uh, featuring the fact that you know, the, the Amari Cooper acquisition and, and Golden Tate for the Eagles and other things, where can they uh, check you out at to to find that? Read well, it's that. Philly, yeah, it's at philly.com um, under the uh, sports uh, under the sports tab and the Eagles tab. Um, it's pretty pretty easy to find and uh, pretty easy to read. What would you say is the uh, you know you can trace lots of troubles the Eagles have had this year? If you had to pick one main culprit, what do you think it might be? When the offensive line plays as well as it can play, and when they're healthy. The Eagles are the best team in the NFC East and probably the fourth best team in the league. I mean, fourth best team maybe in the NFC, maybe the fifth or sixth best team in the league. When their offensive line is not healthy, it changes all the dynamics. The defense is on the field more and it erodes the way that it eroded yesterday. Um, Carson Wentz isn't as comfortable. He isn't as well protected, obviously, and he isn't as comfortable. The running game doesn't get going. And the screen game, which is a big deal for them, their misdirections and their screens and their timing, that's hard to do when, you know, at one point, I think they changed their offensive line three times in yesterday's game. Jason Kelsey came out, went back in. Isaac Samalo came out for good. So I think they changed their offensive line three times in yesterday's game, and they replaced both players with uh, Steph Lewinsky, who's versatile, but he's not taking first-team snaps. And so much of what they do on the offensive line revolves around, you know, sort of precise timing and strategies and, you're still dealing with a quarterback who's relatively young, and the starting running back is a you know an undrafted rookie, Josh Adams. So everything, soup to nuts, revolves around the offensive line. Now, does that mean that the offensive line helps cover wide receivers? No, <laughs> because right. you know their their secondary is painfully young, really thin, even when it's not thin, and not particularly talented at cornerback. 
even when the, everybody felt and nobody felt. Well, so, and they've had all these injuries. Um, to, oh, your phone's starting to get all crispy there. Uh, hang on one second. Let's see. Sorry. Yeah, that's fine. Well, uh, and, you know, the, the word injury pops up, and you hear the phrase next man up. At some point, though, uh, and you know, nobody wants to make excuses, and they won't, but it's still, I mean, all those things you're talking about somehow connect to the fact they've really had a lot of bat, you know, guys knocked down this year. So, uh, you know, what do you, what they is have. your take on that? You're an, you're an athlete. You play ball. You know what it's like next man up kind of thing. So yeah, it's uh, well when they say stuff like "let next man up," my contention is always, "Well, that man was down for a reason." You know, you're dealing with a salary cap, and you only have so many draft picks. There's a reason, you know, Craven LeBlanc is not on the team, uh, not on the roster. You know, right ago, right. So yeah, I mean, next, especially a cornerback, it's a, it's one of those positions that requires a lot of uh, synergy a lot of synchronization. Right. And when you lose Rodney McLeod early in the year, they're, they're very, very good free safety. And then each of the starting cornerbacks over the last, what, four weeks has either been gone or going. You know, they've only had one starting cornerback, Sidney Jones, in and out of the lineup. Jalen Mills and uh, Ronald Darby have been gone. Right. You know, that's a, that's, there's, there's not enough men for next man up at that point. Which you know really brings into question what is this season about when you're four and four and everybody's hurt and you're trading a third round pick for Golden Tate? I mean, are you going are you going to try to outscore everyone? And if that's your strategy, you should have traded for Amari Cooper. If you're all in, you're all in. You can't be half all in. Do you think the players that are left, so to speak, have it in them to make a push at least for the wild card? You got the big game tonight, where one of those two teams loses. One of the, you know their Eagles are chasing both of them, Seattle and Minnesota. Well, I mean, Carson Wentz is really, really good still. He he hasn't played particularly well since the bye, but that's not unusual, especially for younger quarterbacks. Teams tend to adjust and make things confusing for them, and I think that's what's happened with Carson. He's going to confuse a lot, especially at the snap, not knowing where the pressure is going to come from, if it's going to come, and who his reads are. That said, he's really, really good, and I think his, his legs are getting a little bit more – um, I think he's getting a little bit more comfortable regaining his mobility. It's been a calendar year since he blew out his knee. Right. It usually takes about a calendar year or a little bit more to, to, to become comfortable with that. And Lane Johnson is a, you know, when he's right, he's a dominant right tackle. Fletcher Cox, when he's right, he's a dominant defensive tackle. They have good players. They have good players for this year. They have good players going forward. Um, they can beat any, I mean, they almost beat the hottest team in the NFC on the road, losing an offensive lineman and a cornerback in the middle of the game and took them to overtime. Right. I mean, Dallas is the hottest team in the NFC right now. The Rams lost yesterday. I mean, it's, it's right. Dallas, is, Dallas is good. Dallas is a good team. It doesn't mean Philadelphia is as good, but they can play with anybody week in and, and week out. So yeah. certainly they could, uh, they could give the Rams some headaches next week. And, you know, who, who knows what's going to happen, you know, uh, you know, down the stretch in the last couple of games. So yeah. certainly, you know, there's, there's still a reason to watch. And, you know, there's always, I think there's like a 15% chance on 538, give them like a 15% chance to, to make the playoffs still <laughs> as a wild card. Yeah. Team. I mean, because everybody else is garbage too. Yeah. Marcus Hayes has been our guest. We look forward to catching up with you again and want to delve into some things like, uh, I know they're also important to you in addition to the writing you do like family and that sort of thing. So we'll catch up with you again soon. I appreciate it, Tom. That's Marcus Hayes, sports columnist for the Daily News and Inquirer. 
Philly.com is where you can read his stuff. Daily News Live, Comcast Sports. You've maybe seen him on TV covering the Eagles, Philly, Sixers, Big Five hoops, college basketball or football, and a lot of other things. Looking forward to more conversations down the road with Marcus. We'll do a short break. Then we're going to come back with Sarah Jansen. She's the senior editor of the World Almanac and Book of Facts, which just came out. It's the longest-running publication in terms of reference in, in, in America, 150 years plus. The new edition just came out. We'll have copies to give away. Also, author John Eldridge, a best-selling author, Restoration Year, a 365-day devotional going to help you in terms of your walk with the Lord and maybe something you want to look into as we head into January. Back in just a second, listen to the Tim DeMoss Show on AM560, WFIL and WFIL.com. You're listening to a podcast of the Tim DeMoss Show, heard weekday afternoons 4 till 5 on AM560, WFIL and at WFIL.com. 417 AM560, WFIL, WFIL.com. You're listening to the Tim DeMoss Show. Thanks for tuning in. If you're enjoying the program, Feel free to spread the word. Let somebody know about it. We have all our programs at WFIL.com. You can catch the podcast if you want to rehear something or joined in partway through. You can always listen in. WFIL.com for those podcasts. We continue our conversation, or our, our program, I should say, by beginning a conversation. We have several this hour. I'm excited to have Sarah Jansen right now. She is the senior editor of the World Almanac and Book of Facts, the 2019 edition, perhaps as you're looking for an idea for your Christmas giving. How you doing, Sarah? Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being on the program. It's uh, Almanac just released last week. And uh, before we get into this version, it's been around for what, like 100 plus years, 150 years or something like that, close to that, right? It has. The World Almanac has been published annually since 1868. So 151 years we've been around. We're still hanging in there. That's amazing. It really is. And I changed names along the way once or twice, but it's been the current name for, uh, I think, almost 100 years now. So uh, it's, it's great. How did you come to be on board with the Almanac as far as you getting involved with working on it? Well, when I was a kid, I actually got a copy of the World Almanac with a computer game called Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego. Yes, that's right. It was bundled together. Yeah. And um, I always loved, you know, trivia, facts, that kind of thing. And it just happened that there was a college internship available when I was uh, a a sophomore here in New York, and I ended up getting the chance to intern at the World Almanac and eventually was hired on staff. Wow, that's fun. That's great. Well, and the the 2019 version, I guess the the original version, I think, had 120 pages, just for context for the listeners, published uh, just a few years after the end of the Civil War, (laughs) like when Lincoln was assassinated, all that stuff. 150 years later, plus, we're talking about the 2019 version, which has a thousand eight pages a little larger than the original uh what goes into the process of deciding what goes into the almanac there's just a lot of areas you could delve into theoretically Absolutely. The World Almanac is always trying to be a go-to reference for any topic you might have a question about. So whether it's pop culture or history or politics or sports, we're trying to have you covered. Um, And a lot of that is similar or the same every year. You know, we're always going to have a copy of the Constitution in there. We're always going to have an updated article on every country in the world, on every state in the union. But so much of the World Almanac is also brand new every year. So we have like year-in-review information for 2018, covering the events of the past year. We also 
uh, look at what's going on in the news every year and try to identify and then seek out statistics or information that we think that people will find useful in the upcoming year. So this year that included things like immigration statistics, obviously something that's been discussed quite a bit, information about our new Supreme Court nominee, so a ton of new information every year as well. Sarah Jansen is the senior editor of the World Almanac and Book of Facts. They're talking about the 2019 version, which just came out last week. And uh, you mentioned that. I know the election results are, are part of that, too. That's a comprehensive spot where people can go and check all the, you know, all the different results across the country, right? Is one example. Absolutely. Absolutely. So all of the results from the midterm elections are in there. Um, Obviously, there are a few races that were still being recounted and uh, victors are being identified in as we were going to press. So it was definitely a a balancing act to get the the accurate race calls in without giving any um, er erroneous information. It It was a a late-breaking process. Well, I was going to ask you that that whole part of it, logistically, it's got to be a big challenge to keep you know, the almanac as current as possible and yet turn it around for readers in a timely way. How does that work? Do you have to have some, you know, everything's ready, and but you have a drop dead where you got to have it done and, you know, what gets what gets in and gets in there and what you have to leave out, you leave out because, like you say, you don't want to put in something that turns out not to be true later on. Exactly. So we do have a drop dead uh, deadline in November every year, and that just means that we sort of cut off updates at exactly that point, and we sort of um, hope uh, hope for the best and also rely on our social media channels for additional updates. So, for example, George Herbert Walker Bush passed away um, the several weeks after we printed the book, and we were um, updating our social media platforms, our Instagram, our Twitter, with information about his life and, uh, and sort of acknowledging the passing in that way, although that particular obituary won't be in this year's edition. Okay. And, you know, as a side note, just thinking separately, obviously the, the printed version is a special. It's been that way for years. There, there is, an, is there an online version or ebook that people can check out? And, and if so, if, does, do any extra updates get thrown in there because you can? So the ebook is available on basically any platform you would get another ebook for, and that um, actually goes on sale Tuesday the 11th, December okay. 11th. So yeah. about a week after the the paperback, you should be able to download it. Um, it's actually yeah. really great because it's a searchable version, obviously, and um, yeah. sometimes doing that is a little easier than going through an indexer or flipping to a random page in the World Almanac. There's also the World Almanac Online, which is available as a subscription product for schools and libraries. So probably you'll have to check your local public library or a school library you might be affiliated with for login information. Okay. Sarah Jansen, Senior Editor of the World Almanac and Book of Facts, the 2019 version that just came out as our guest. We're just going to do a short break. We'll continue our chat with Sarah. And if you'd like to win a copy, text me, 610-500-3683. 610-500-DOVE. Just throw the word uh, world in there. It's easier than spelling almanac. If you want to show off, you can spell almanac, but world will do. Just name and address real quick, because if we draw your name, we want to be able to mail it to you tomorrow. I have the copy sitting on my desk right now. One more time, 610-500-3683. And the word world. Back in just a second on AM560 WFIL. Thanks for tuning in to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast with AM560 WFIL and WFIL.com. It's 427. 
take the next person to text in at 610-500-3683. 610-500-3683. Just need your name. Let's do this. We'll make it simple. Name and the word world. And then we can text you back with the uh, opportunity to win the World Almanac. So you can go to worldalmanac.com and just buy it. But before doing that, why don't you call or text, I should say, 610-500-DOVE with your name and the word world, and perhaps she'll win a copy. Continue our conversation now. Sarah Jansen, the senior editor of the World Almanac and Book of Facts, our guest, the 2019 version we're talking about uh, for a moment or two here. Uh, one of the things uh, I know that's in there, that, just as I was reading about it, was the, the uh, statistical spotlight feature that has a lot of graphics in it, the highlights and talk about that aspect of it a little bit. Because, you know, sometimes people are more visual learners they, they, as opposed to just the written word. And that's exactly the idea behind the statistical spotlight. You know, we're looking at um, important news stories of the year from a graphic perspective. So that is everything from what impact the 2017 applying for 2018 tax bill might have on government revenues. That's something you'll find in there. You'll also find a really interesting uh, graphic about natural disasters, weather-related natural disasters, and uh, see how much that has changed in the past three or four decades. So there's a lot of really interesting information there, but it's presented in a graphic way for um, those of us who like to get our information in a visual way. Yeah, that's good. Uh, tell, tell us also about, I mean, just because you uh, probably, it's a year-round project, you know, you never, work never stops. Uh, what's your, do you have a favorite as you were working on it, that part or aspect of the Almanac that you you know, there's a thousand eight pages, so there's lots to, to enjoy. But is there a particular part that you enjoyed either researching or you're you're proud to present? Like, check this out. This is really interesting or some feature of it. Well, certainly uh, I work on a lot of different parts of the World Almanac every year. And we do have a team of about 20 people who contribute as well. Wow. So uh, everyone has their favorite parts. I do love working on the year in pictures section, which is a full color illustration of everything that happened in the past year, everything from, you know, great uh, sports photos, the Super Bowl this past year, the Olympics, to um, looking at some farewells photos, the photos of people who had obituaries in the past year. Yeah. It's a really interesting way to sort of recap the year in a visual way. Yeah, and as we spin into the next year, not to get too far ahead because this one's just out. If you're just tuning in, we're chatting with Sarah Jansen, who is the senior editor of the World Almanac and Book of Facts. It just came out last week on the 4th. As you mentioned, uh, the uh, the ebook version comes out on the 11th, which is tomorrow. So people can, uh, I guess, download that as opposed to read it online. How does that How does that work? Is it? A- yep, it's basically for any e-reader or e or a device that has a ebook platform on it. So okay. a Kindle, for example, or a Nook, or even your iPad, you can uh, you can get an ebook or ebook for. Okay. And it's a, a really great searchable version of the World Almanac. And then as you spin into you know keeping keeping the train going. You're already probably laying a foundation for the one that will, you know, be coming out next year. Any thoughts on what might be in store, at least topically, or or is any initial skeleton to the 2020 version? Well, I think it's fair to say that the World Almanac editors are still paying attention to what's going on in Washington. There's going to be a new Congress, obviously. Yeah. Um, certainly, the political developments really never stop <laughs> right. these days. Um, you have that those on an hourly basis, not even a daily basis anymore. But there's also some fun stuff to look forward to. You know, there will be a Women's World Cup soccer tournament to That's look right. forward to. That's right. 
Um, so we're really excited about that. And of course, you know, for those people who enjoy uh, British royal watching, there will be a, a new royal baby in 2019. Yeah. So that'll, that'll all be chronicled in the World Almanac next year. You kind of touched on this earlier, but how much, if you had to break it down percentage-wise of an almanac would of the almanac would be right? kind of you can look for, if you enjoy reading it you know every year there's a section on this versus a different feature there's not a baby born every year for example a royal baby born every year but so some stories probably our sections are built off of one-offs but is it a a good chunk of it is annual things that you can you know freshly update versus something that's totally different that just happened that particular year you know like sure. the topic so the- yeah yeah, yeah. The, I, under, I think I understand what you mean. So the World Almanac every year is about a third of it is completely brand spanking new. You've never seen it before. About a third of it is a, maybe a table or an article that gets updated with new information every year. Yeah. And then, uh, and then about a third of it is information that we just take a look at to make sure it hasn't changed. So that'll be things like um, a list of past presidents, for example, or um, a periodic table, which actually does happen to change from time to time, actually. We just make sure that, uh, that those things are still evergreen and, and needing to be there for our readers. Like when the planets, which one got, got deplaneted? <laughs> Was it Pluto? When, when Pluto was dwarf planeted. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's so an that example. was something where, where we had to look at an article that had been there for a long time. Of course, a lot of those astronomy articles do change quite a bit because of new information that they found that yeah. researchers have discovered. Um, but when he when Pluto was demoted to dwarf planet status, we not only made sure to acknowledge that in the Pluto article, but we also added several additional articles for the other dwarf planets that were elevated at at the same time ah. as Pluto was demoted. <laughs> That's funny. That's good. That's good. That's well, a good example of it, Sarah. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I'm, I'm sure you must feel a, a sense of satisfaction, you know, as much as you can, and it's a busy time of year to to have a sense of satisfaction with Christmas and all the shopping and all the activity, but to have the book out there must feel really good for you. It is a good feeling, but you know, the world almanac editors are still uh, already looking ahead to 2020. So we're looking forward to, to adding even more good stuff next year. That's great. Sarah, thank you so much for your time. It's a privilege to talk to you and enjoy your uh, rest of your week. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Sure thing. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. That's Sarah Jansen, Senior Editor of the World Almanac and Book of Facts 2019 version. Congratulations to Sharon Reynolds in Harleysville. Congratulations. Picking up the book. Also, Rob texted in. We're going to hook Rob up with a copy, too. Waiting on his address. We're going to do a short break and come back at you with another guest. Looking forward to having uh, John Eldridge, New York Times bestselling author, Wild at Heart, and other books. He has something called Restoration Year, 365-day devotional. We'll have copies of that to give away, too. Hang on. You're listening to the Tim DeMoss Show, AM 560, WFIL and WFIL.com. Live and local, it's the Tim DeMoss Show, weekday afternoons 4 till 5 on AM 560, WFIL, and at WFIL.com. Our podcast continues. Hey, I know that guy. Way to go, Doug. Put that together. And Joe, you guys work together great. Put those Christmas promos together. I like that. I like this Christmas music, too. Vince Guaraldi. 437, Tim DeMoss Show continues on. Low of 24 tonight with clear skies. Lots of sun tomorrow. High 40. Mix of clouds and sun Wednesday. High again, 40. Eagles tough loss against Dallas yesterday in OT. Monday night football night, Minnesota and Seattle. Flyers lost to Winnipeg. And uh, 
yesterday and the Sixers home this evening against Detroit. We've had the privilege of a couple of great guests so far. We have one more, John Eldridge. He is the New York Times bestselling author, including of the book Wild at Heart, and now has a brand new 365-day devotional out called Restoration Year. Hello, John. How are you? I'm good, Tim. How's it going? Wonderful. Thanks for being available to chat a little bit about the new devotional. Yeah, I appreciate you doing it. Thank you. Absolutely. Tell us about Restoration Year. How How is it put together, and uh, why did you write it? You know, um, most devotionals are kind of built around a daily experience, but they don't really take you on a journey, per se. And what, what we were looking to do with this one was, could we create an experience over the course of a year that fits into people's lifestyle, you know, where they don't have a lot of margin, but a guided kind of experience into the restoration of their own soul. That's what we're about. That's largely what I write about is, you know, how God restores the heart, um, how much he cares about your soul. And, and, you know, Psalm 23, the promise is he restores my soul. But how does that happen? How does that take place? So what we what we try to do in Restoration Year is just map out, you know, kind of day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month, a, a sort of personal journey that lets people reflect on different areas in their life and invite Christ in to do His restoring work. John Eldridge uh, is with us. Uh, he wrote, of course, a lot of books folks will know, Wild at Heart's one of them, uh, this new devotional. Uh, just came out last week, Restoration Year. And when people do think about, you know, a new year, they often start by making a list of stuff or things they take stock of the year that just passed. And here's what I want to be different, this big, long list. And maybe by the second week of, of January or February, it's all kind of eh, whatever. So how is this different you know, instead of it being a list kind of a book? Well, for one thing, it's guided. So, you you know, rather than you having to keep your exercise program up or, you know, yeah. vowing to be a, <laughs> a kinder person to your in-laws, you know, this is a, it's a, it reads like a devotion. It's a fairly short one page. You know, I can fit this into my morning or my lunch break. And, and yet what it does is it presents a thought about the journey of, of your life, your story, you know, asking you questions about your dreams. And, and what happened to your dreams, and then inviting, there's a prayer at the end of each one, inviting Christ into that. And, and, then it, and it walks from very simple things into some very deep waters as well, you know, your relationship with your parents, perhaps, or, you know, childhood wounds you may have experienced. As a therapist now for, you know, more than 30 years, I've just, I've just seen a lot of Christians just need somebody to ask the right question. Hmm. And so... What the devotion does is it just helps ask questions. And then from there, um, as I said, that the prayer is to just continue to invite Jesus into these particular questions that get surfaced in the kind of the week-to-week flow of the devotional. Yeah, you know, and as you talk about that, it, it's, uh, it kind of drives home the point that becoming a, a Christian and walking with the Lord is a— is a walk where you want to continue to be brought back to the right place to make sure your your heart hasn't wandered one direction or another and keep giving your life to the Lord, so to speak, even though there's maybe sometimes a moment of a decision, not always, but sometimes it seems to be a clear moment. Yeah, you want to keep having those moments where you keep bringing yourself under His Lordship. I like that, Tim. I like that idea of keep giving your life to the Lord. That's That's a good way of putting it. And 
there's just not a lot of margin in most people's lives. So to, you know, recommend, hey, you know, you ought to go to this retreat or, you know, there's this wonderful week-long experience that this ministry does. Most people just don't have the bandwidth for that. Yeah. And yet they still need they still need the restoration, right? We still need um, the healing work of Christ in our lives. And I, I love that passage. One of my favorite verses is Second Corinthians 3.18, where Paul says that as we, as we turn to the Lord, we reflect Him with ever-increasing glory. That as you were saying, this, the progress of the Christian life, I think, really is meant to be one where we're getting better and better. We're more and more like Him. We're more and more whole. We're more and more holy. Yeah, over time. You actually have several devotionals, right, revolving around holiness specifically. Maybe you could speak to those and, and how folks do become holy. Okay. I love the way Peterson translates Ephesians 1 in the message. He, he says, long ago, God had settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. And I think those two go together. I, I think it's very difficult to show people the beauty of holiness without their personal restoration. You know, you take an, an addiction, for example, whether it's food or chemical or, or the approval of others or gambling, you, you really got to get Christ down into the soul where, where those strongholds operate so that holiness can take place. But what I also love is the reverse is true. You know, there's we now live in a very therapeutic culture, and, and, you know, language of psychology and those kinds of books are very, very common now. But very few of them actually show people that if you want wholeness, you actually have to pursue holiness too, right? Yeah. Like the, 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 the happiness that you're looking for and, and, and the well-being of your soul actually comes through the, the beauty of the holiness of Jesus Christ in us. So... I like, I like Peterson bringing them together. We're made whole and holy by his love. John Eldridge is a New York Times bestselling author. He's written lots of books and worn lots of hats. Uh, has this brand new 365-day devotional that just released last week. It's called Restoration Year. And you, um, you yourself kind of had a restoration year of sorts, right? Or how? Uh, tell us about your lead into you know, your personal uh, exactly. experience with that. <clears throat> Yeah, exactly. We a couple of years ago we went through a lot of loss. Um, lost my best friend to cancer. At the same year, we lost our first grandchild. Um, mm, sorry to hear. My that. wife. Oh, it's just brutal year. It was a brutal year. And then my dear Stacy, my wife, um, was in chronic pain through the year and finally ended up in some surgeries. And it was in that I, I just said, Jesus, I. I know that you talk about restoring my soul. I need to experience that. You need to take me into that personally now. And so I, I really kind of devoted the, the year after all that suffering to he restores my soul. And how do you do that, Lord? Like, and it led us into some beautiful times of prayer and just walks, you know, with the Lord in the woods and different questions that helped surface. Um, yes pain, but also hope, um, helped resurface desire. Uh, because when you, you know, when you go through hardship, you tend to abandon hopes and desires. And it was a beautiful restoring year. And, and I want, I want that for God's people. I want that 
for the sons and daughters of God. And so that, that kind of led into the creation of this devotional. Well, and you mentioned uh, your own circumstances there. Maybe was that part of the reason why there were some hard topics or are some hard topics in the devotional uh, restoration year, you know, reality of evil and suffering and that sort of, did it kind of come birthed out of those experiences yourself? Yeah, right. Exactly. I think it was Francis Schaeffer that said, you know, if, you're, if your Christianity doesn't address all of life, it's not Christianity. Like, this mm. isn't just about, it isn't just about the good times. Like, we've got to be honest about most people now experience so much trauma in their life that they find it very difficult, actually, to connect with God. And the problem isn't their faith, and the problem isn't that God doesn't love them. The problem is their soul needs care. They need soul care. And as their soul is restored in the love of God, they actually find that their intimacy with God grows, or in some cases is recovered to what they were once used to. We've got to heal the trauma, too. Yeah, yeah it makes a lot, a lot of sense. And that it's probably something, I guess, as you said, in times you've, the years of being uh, doing therapy as well, just uh, people might think, that God, believe God loves them, and also, but at the same time, it doesn't feel like it, or something's messed up, and they've they've maybe taken some hits over their li- lifetime, one way or another, and sort of bridge that gap. Maybe they don't really realize what you just said that the there needs to be some healing going on this, or the, that restoration part. It's it's interesting because you can either look at the Christian life as like it's going to be down the road. I'm just kind of getting through till one day everything's going to be restored. But in the meantime, that whole restoration piece. I know that that's very important to you. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah, and if if you demand all or nothing, you know you're going to be frustrated. You know we the fullness of it is ahead of us, and boy oh boy is it! It's going to be absolutely fabulous. But <laughs> yes, in the meantime, there is a great deal of healing and joy and recovery that God does have for us. Jesus Lewis said, "The soul is a vessel that God fills." And so if your soul is not well, it's very difficult for God to fill it, right? Or if your soul, frankly, is filled with other things, you know. Sure, sure. Right? And and so to kind of go through a guided, um, gracious, it's a very gracious process of of just, you know, bringing more and more of our soul back into the loving care of God, then we're able to enjoy Him more. Yeah. John Eldridge, best-selling author, New York Times uh, new devotional. It's called Restoration Year. Want to win a copy? Text me right now, 610-500-3683. 610-500-3683. Just your name and the word restoration. And uh, we'll draw out to win a copy of John Eldridge's book. We'll also continue our conversation and wrap up our program here in just a few minutes on AM 560 WFIL. Have a guest you'd like to hear on the Tim DeMoss Show on AM 560 WFIL? Email Timmy D at WFIL.com. 450 AM 560 WFIL. Continuing our conversation with John Eldridge. New devotional is called Restoration Year. Just came out last week, which is good because it gives people a chance to get their minds around it. Well, I'm glad we could have you on several weeks before the new year starts so people can, you know, pick up a copy if they choose and, and kind of even Maybe pre-read a little bit, cheat and read a couple, you know, don't wait till the first to start reading perhaps and get a better idea of where it's going. So 
Um, yeah, exactly. You're also the president of Ransom Heart, which is um, you know a ministry devoted to helping people discover God's heart. Because a lot of what you're sharing seems to you know not just be treating stuff on the surface, but go to the root, right? Of what's of, of yeah. these things. So maybe talk. Yeah, we're kind talk of about heart surgeons. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we are. We are heart surgeons. So we have a we have a podcast and and blogs and but what we primarily do is um, we do retreats for men and women that are these uh, four day experiences where uh, we kind of talk people through their story and and particularly into the masculine soul for men and into the feminine soul for women and how. Jesus loves, loves, loves to restore our souls. And so we, we do it in retreats, we do it in conferences, and we do it in some of our study material. You mentioned Psalm 23, but he restores my soul. Are there any other scriptures that come to mind? That I, mean, I think Psalm 23 is like one of those Hall of Fame passages people are generally aware of. You know, um, Are there any other verses that, that, or, that kind of come to mind uh, or that come to the foreground that uh, you share yeah. with people in these things? Yeah, yeah, my favorite all time is Isaiah 61, um, because it's the passage Jesus quotes when he announces his ministry. You know, he's it's Luke, you know, the opening of the Gospels, and he's come out of the <clears throat> time of fasting in the wilderness and had the showdown with the enemy, and he triumphs, and he comes into the synagogue, and the very first thing he announces, I've come to heal the brokenhearted and set the captive free. Isaiah 61 is an extraordinary promise that God really is able to and interested in healing the various ways that our hearts um, get harmed in this world. And, I mean, this is a heartbreaking world, if you care at all about human beings and the fact that two million children are trafficked into the sex trade every year. I mean, that can just level you for weeks. You watch the news, you get involved in people's lives, and then, and then we have our own personal suffering, right? No, right. Nobody escapes that. And so I, I love Isaiah 61. I love its promise. It's both freedom and, and restoration. It's both of those together. As you're uh, speaking, Psalm 147, verse 3 comes to mind. Uh, I think it says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Um, you know, we, well, I often will share that because it's short and, um, uh, someone's passed away or, or just to cheer somebody up if they're having a, a hard time, uh, cause that, that whole restoration process, like you said, some of it's going to happen now and, and can, and maybe we shouldn't think that it can't. Uh, but then like you said, uh, you know, my wife and I, for example, have a daughter who's disabled and she, her physically, her body is very, uh, needy and broken. Uh, and, and we have friends who have two sons with a muscular dystrophy, and uh, it's a real hard thing. But the good news is one day that's going to be restored. We know that, and so we look forward to that day. But um, anyway, in the meantime, we have a God who cares about us from now till then. So it's a, you know. He does. <clears throat> he does. And he's not, he's not able simply to see us through those times. He really is actually able to bring deep, loving renewal to us Right now, as we care for, you know, our aging parents or our um, disadvantaged children or whatever our, whatever our personal situation might be. Yeah. Amen to that. One other quick note for folks just tuning in again. Uh, John Eldridge, author of this uh, new devotional, uh, uh, Restoration Year, just came out last week, a 365-day devotional. Um, one of the pages in there is kind of interesting. It has to do with animal lovers. 
Do you have a moment to speak about that before I wrap our chat up to get today? Oh, you're going to, you're going to break my heart. <laughs> I actually, <clears throat> I wrote that, um, uh, around Romans eight, but we actually just, we just buried our, our beloved family dog last week. No our, way. our dear, yeah, our dear golden retriever. And for many people and for many of my clients, as a therapist, that that has been one of the defining wounds of their life. I mean, it can be, I, I know a, a very dear man, I took him months and months to, 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 to even just work through that because they can be such dear members of the family. Yeah. But this is a mind blower for most people, gang. And Paul says very clearly in Romans 8, all creation groans for the day of its redemption. And he's, he's talking about this earth, and the animal kingdom, because he says all creation was subjected to a curse. So he, we know he's talking about this world and not another one. Right. And he says this world and the created order is very dear to God, and he does plan on restoring it. And, and, and the promise is restoration. The promise is not, you know, annihilation. And so I believe very much that God preserves the things that are dear to his sons and daughters, and, and that as we experience the restoration of the world, promised in many places in Scripture, including Revelation 21, that I, I think that we do uh, get our beloved pets back. Yeah. And, and you know, so does John Piper, and so does C.S. Lewis, and so does you know, Max Potato, and a bunch of other folks. It's really an interesting thing, because if, if I've, I've had kittens, and we've had animals for our children— I've never um, gotten to that point. I, I've, I, to be honest, if I had to pick a side, I would have been more like, you know, I wouldn't have thought, thought of it that way. I would have been more like, I'm, a, I'm just wondering if I, like my mom passed away in April of 2015. And I know that God's good. So no matter what, will, will my mom and I see each other again? Will we know that we were mother, son, things, things like that. I can trust God's goodness, though, whatever it's going to be. And I guess because there's lots of scripture references on the side of animals, that you know, Jesus riding on a white horse and the lion lays down with the lamb and all that. Like, well, why wouldn't there be? So we, you know, it's interesting to see how God, God will handle it. You know, we can trust that He's good, however it plays out. But uh, your your that chapter, that little section in the devotional, gave me some reason to rethink how I view those things. So, oh, wonderful! May may it bring you some new hope. Yeah, that's good. Well, God bless you, John. Thank you for taking time with us. It's been a privilege to to uh, chat with you about the devotional restoration year and. Congratulations on, on being able to put that together. Did it take a long time yeah, to get it all together? It's a lot of work. Oh, yeah, it does. <laughs> it's a lot of work because you want to do it carefully. We also wanted to have a progression through it that made made sense to people, you know. So I appreciate you having me on today. Thank you so much. Our privilege. God bless you, and uh, have a wonderful rest of the day. Thank you. You too. Thanks, John. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Bye That's John Eldridge, New York Times bestselling author with a brand new devotional restoration year. Text in now, 610-500-DOVE, 610-500-3683 with the word restoration. Perhaps you'll win a copy. We'll draw off the air. Sarah Jansen, senior editor of the World Almanac Almanac and Book of Facts 2019 edition, joined us, as did Marcus Hayes, sports columnist for the Daily News and Inquirer, Philly.com. Jim Maxim, Max 413 Ministries. Praise next, and then we'll have things with uh, Truth For Life and Alistair Beck, AM560 WFIL. Thanks for listening to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. Feel free to tune in to the full show each weekday afternoon from 4 to 5 on AM560 WFIL and at WFIL.com.